This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, November 7th, 2022 edition, and the seasons are changing. I know here it's uh, been nice and raining over the rainy over the last 24 hours, and Thanksgiving is a little more than two weeks away, and we're dealing with uh, a volatile market and a different market, uh, a market where interest rates are going up, long durations are go- long duration assets are going down, uh, and assets that give you value today are going up. Real assets, hard assets, important assets that run our everyday lives. Times you take them for granted, and I think we have for a long period of time, and uh, that's coming home to roost. And from a high level, that means changes to how you should ask, you should allocate your funds uh, and the strategies you should employ. And so I'm Justin Klein. I'm here ready to answer your finance and investment questions and help you create some confidence in your investment strategy to give you a direction, especially when most Everyday investors don't have a direction. You hear about company here, you read about a company there, you talk to your brother about, you know, the company that is doing really well in their portfolio. You see something that Kramer said. Right? These are how most investors get their ideas. And they shoot from the hip. And that's a surefire way to have very middling poor results. And so what I'm here to do is to help you bring a fame framework to your thinking, a framework that is built on reality, built on data, and weeds out as much emotion as you possibly can, both fear and greed. And fear and greed are simply emotions that uh, emotional beings like humans have. So it's natural. But it doesn't mean you have to be beholden to them. And so when I answer your finance and investment questions, that's what I'm trying to help you do, is to get clarity and make those decisions with Sound, down-to-earth rationale. Not pie-in-the-sky hopes and dreams, but realistic expectations. And not get caught up in hype. Not get won over by bells and whistles from Kramer, for example. I want you to be won over by the facts on the ground, 
on the economy, on a sector level, and a company level. So the phone lines are open, ready to answer your finance and investment questions at 888-989-CHART. And I've got a lot of material to discuss today. One is in regards to a new classification system that Goldman Sachs is trying to put on the crypto universe. And we're going to look at what that means. And I'll give you my take uh, whether that makes sense or not. Also, other things on the docket, such as the CHIPS Act. Chips Act, Chip, I've said this before, the CHIPS Act is, I think, one of the most influential industrial policy steps by the government that the government has taken in a long time. Now, we'll see if I'm correct. We'll see how much impact that does have over time. But I want to touch on it because I do think it is uh, important. Also, we're in a rising rate environment and typically rising rates help banks. Why? Because banks borrow short, they lend long, uh, and typically they want to lend at higher rates. It means they get earn more interest. But some banks are benefiting more than the others. And we're going to look at which ones those are. And then lastly, there's modern monetary theory, which is kind of something touted by progressives on the left and a way to conduct monetary and fiscal policy. But there's a new theory on the right as well. And it's called the price theory of the, the fiscal theory of price of the price level, fiscal theory of the price level, which we're going to get to uh, potentially in a little bit. But those are things that are on the docket for me. I also have some voice bank questions ready to play for you. One in regards to famous investors as well as American Express. So I have all this planned for this episode of Invest Talk. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Sid in North Carolina. Hi, Justin. Good evening. Good thank evening. you for taking my call. Sure. And thank you. For, uh, and my best wish is to almost complete 50 million podcast listeners. So I'm one of them. Thank you so much uh -huh. for all the help that you are giving us. No problem. I appreciate it. Hopefully, uh, give you some help as as well. Now you're looking at Freeport MacRan. Do you own it, or are you thinking of picking it up? Yes, I I own it. I mm -hmm. had picked up somewhere in the range of thirty thirty two dollars. It's currently at thirty four. So I'm at a marginal profit. It's less than one percent of my portfolio. But mm -hmm. uh, I was just checking the some numbers that they have some debt. They have cash flow. I don't know. Should I keep it this for a long term? I, uh, I'm usually buying or selling for the long term only. I don't do it daily trading. So mm -hmm. do you think this is a something that we should keep it? Or is this a price range we should add? Or what should be your opinion? Thank you so much. Yeah, uh, we like Freeport. It's a, one of the largest copper miners in the world, about a $50 billion market cap. And... You know, their, their earnings for this year and next year are coming down from the high of 2021 of $3.13, which was a record high. Uh, but even $1.72 expected for next year is higher than uh, 2018 levels, which is the, the previous high of $1.52. So the earnings are still very robust, and uh, you're starting to see 
some uh, the price of copper in general perk up after uh, having a large pullback on the back of a strong dollar, as well as the weakness caused by the zero COVID policy in China. Uh, remember, China is a big user of, of copper uh, to for all, all different purposes, but a lot has to do with uh, building real estate and their real estate markets uh, struggling as well. Um, so I think that's the biggest near term drag, uh, but you're starting to continue to see a pickup in uh, electric vehicle production, and that takes a lot of copper. Uh, typical uh, EV has about eight times more copper than a traditional internal combustion engine car. And so there's going to be increasing uh, demand for uh, in that space, as well as uh, solar panels and other uh, type of uh, electri electrification of our uh, transportation grid, of our energy grid, uh, because copper is a, a great conductor of, of electricity and, you know, relatively cheap to compare to, to others. So the demand for copper, we think, will, will be robust over the long term. Um, so you're starting to see some strength there. Now, we own a different copper miner um, uh, that we, we think is better, but uh, Freeport is certainly a very good one. Um, so you can't uh, can't go uh, too wrong with it uh, as long as copper prices go up and we are bullish on copper uh, longer term. So I would, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't be mad about uh, adding to it here. Now we're heading into a break and I welcome your finance and investment questions right now. Remember, no question is too simple or too complex. You set the agenda. So give me a call on Invest Talk at 888 chart Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that Invest Talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor. 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. So as long as your questions involve the stock market or general investment topics and definitions, we set no limits. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Justin and I are ready. Are you? Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. Now, my main focus today is in regards to Goldman Sachs and their new data service they're rolling out in conjunction with CoinMetrics as well as MSCI, which is a global index provider. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to set classifications for digital assets, digital coins, tokens, etc. So that institutions as well as individuals can make sense of this new 
this new asset class and create a framework for this e these ecosystems that are easy for people to understand. Now, before this year, uh, during the pandemic, crypto assets exposed about $3 trillion in value. Now that's down to below $1 trillion, but it's still sizable. And this new service is going to be called Datonomy, which is a kind of a play on words of taxonomy, which is a branch of science that classifies the natural world into different names. Uh, but what this is, uh, in, in, this is going to be sold as a data feed, a subscription based data feed that you can subscribe to. And it's going to divide the digital asset world into classes, sectors, and subsectors, depending on how these coins or, or tokens are, are used. So it's trying to put some granular data similar to how equities are classified. So you don't just say stocks, stocks is very broad, right? So okay, what sector is that stock in? Is it a growth stock? Is it a value stock? Is it large cap? Is it small cap? And as we talked about before that those classifications and those type of companies with certain features, let's call it, tend to move in similar fashions. Right? Sometimes small caps outperforming, sometimes large caps outperforming, sometimes it's growth that's leading, sometimes it's value, sometimes certain sectors based on the economic backdrop uh, are outperforming versus others. There's That's always the case, pretty much, right? That, that there's some, uh, some of those trends are always, um, always happening. And there's usually fundamental factors for it, whether it's the economic backdrop or interest rates or inflation. Uh, and the same can be said in the digital world. So are these assets being used for decentralized finance or the metaverse or smart contract platforms or value transfer tokens? There's different ways for these digital assets to be used. And so maybe you're bullish on value transfer coins, the ability for people to transact with digital currencies, but you're not bullish on the metaverse or maybe vice versa. And you're able to now, instead of just betting on crypto in general, you're able to better focus on particular slices of the market. And so this is the next phase of get, getting the industry lined up so everyone can understand what they're investing in a little bit better. And then different institutions can start to build indices like MSCI uh, that will follow these subsectors of the crypto market. So I think this is actually overall a good thing because it's always hard to paint the whole sector with a broad brush that everything is great or everything is terrible because there's always shades of gray in there. And this is more able to put some color to those shades of gray. And uh, I, I like that, that trend. Now we're heading to a break. Steve and I are happy to play your voice bank questions, but we love your live calls as well. 
So give us a call on Invest Talk at 888 chart Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. And of course, your calls are always welcome 24 7. Don't forget to call Invest Talk 888 Chart. Hi, Duncan here from New York. Always a pleasure listening to your podcast and getting some good advice. I actually have a question uh, just about your methodology and how you guys invest. As I continue being a student on your podcast, I'm trying to look at other famous investors. I would like to ask out of these four investors, if you kind of follow their type of uh, trading or, sorry, investing style, uh, they are John Neff, Peter Lynch, Ben Braham, and Joel Greenblatt. Not sure if any of those people sound familiar and uh, if you guys relate to any of their type of investing. If not, who else do you guys follow? Uh, looking forward to uh, the uh, answer on the podcast. Have a great night. Bye. Uh, well, all four of those investors have some positive aspects to uh, the way that we look at individual companies, uh, things that that we like, uh, things that we think are more appropriate for particular sectors. Um, but if I was to pick one of one of those four would probably be Joel Greenblatt. Uh, I think he has uh, the clearest picture of, uh, you know, looking at operating profit and uh, more granular data um, as opposed to just like P ratios and uh, just simply return equity. Um, so he, he likes to uh, dig into the details a, a little bit better um, and uh, look at profitability metrics, return on invested capital, uh, those those things. Um, so, I would say of those four, we would I would pick uh, Joel Greenblatt. Now, is that the only way to to find winners? No, um, but it can be a good starting place uh, for uh, your screening process, and uh, you can build from there. And and, and that's something that that we've done uh, is just uh, build on what the the great investors have done um, and, and try to take what uh, what works for us and and sometimes uh what might work for those famous investors may not exactly work for you either because maybe that puts you into names that are riskier right smaller cap names maybe you you don't want maybe you're focused a little more on income and and uh that's going to skew your uh your picks as well um so there's a lot of factors that can go into uh you know what you should should follow um, I, I always use famous investors as a way to learn as a way, as opposed to a way to copy, um, because there's, there's often, uh, aspects that are not talked about completely, um, in their process and some of it's intuitive, uh, uh but a lot of it is just learning what, what things mean, what to look for, what to not be. I guess, duped by, uh, whether that, like I said, P ratios, I think is one example of ways that people can get misled and duped into thinking something is cheap when it's really just a, a value trap or something like that. Um, so 
I, I like that you're trying to learn from the greats um, uh, and you're looking at multiple greats. Um, so I wouldn't say, oh, I'm just going to pick Joel Greenback because that's not what we, we've done. Uh, but we've, uh, I would say our methodology is most aligned with his. Yeah. Thanks for the call. 8899 chart, 8892 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. We have about a half hour left. So if you're going to call, you want to do that right now. Now let's touch a bit on the CHIPS Act, the CHIPS Act. And this is something that's pretty important in, in my book. And this was passed in August. It's uh, the CHIPS and Science Act of 2022. It provides $52.7 billion for U.S. semiconductor companies to do R&D, manufacturing, and workforce development. So basically training. And so uh, it includes provisions to reinforce the supply chain uh, of U.S. companies and spur innovation. And a lot of that had to do with uh, trying to supplement R&D spending. Uh, the CHIPS Act includes a budget of $200 billion for research grants. And so that will sponsor fundamental research for uh, yeah, U.S. universities and labs. And that's going to help U.S. chip stocks, chip companies, and basically subsidize their R&D expense. And frankly, that's, I think, a big reason why companies like TSMC, right, Taiwan Semiconductor, uh, has been, been the leader. Uh, they've been able to use their scale to manufacture chips for the likes of NVIDIA, uh, as AMD, uh, and other uh, chip companies. And they've used that the, their profits to invest in R&D uh, and surpassed Intel uh, because of that scale, because of their, their heft. Um, and this is going to be able to to counter that. So our domestic uh, chip companies, think of Intel, Texas Instruments, et cetera, there, there are many uh, that are going to benefit from this. And I think this is certainly underrated in its full impact. Uh, and so when you're looking at the chip space, understand that this is uh, going to be felt many years down the line, three, five, 10 years. And so while right now there's a lot of headwinds in the chip space because of the slowing economy, understand that on the other side of this, I think this CHIPS Act is going to have a, uh, a nice tailwind long-term uh, for our domestic chip industry. So uh, I wanted to highlight that because I know a lot of people are going to think those foreign chip companies are cheap. Uh, and in my book, in reality, I think the opposite's true. Thanks for the call. Or thanks, thanks for tuning in. This is Invest Talk. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Invest Talk. You've got a portfolio to grow and protect, and this is no time to lose focus. So get your finance and investment questions together 
and call Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. They're ready with their unbiased answers. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Justin and Steve, Matt from South Florida calling. Thanks for always having a great show. Calling about American Express, AXP like Paul. This is a stock that I've looked at for a while for a couple of reasons. PE ratio currently sitting just under 15. Wanted to get your thought on the stock itself, holding it for 10 to 12 years in a non-taxable account. I like the stock anyway, but I also have an additional reason why I think the stock has a potential to really shine over the next 12 to, to 18 months. If the legislation known as the Credit Card Competition Act were to pass, I give it maybe a 20 or 30% chance of happening. Many consumers holding certain Visa MasterCard cards would lose all their rewards. And if you know that legislation, would flock to either Discover or Amex. Without getting into a long discussion about the legislation, I think I like the stock anyway, but if you have an external event that has a reasonable probability of happening, like this Credit Card Competition Act, that would drive a ton of consumers currently holding Visa MasterCard to Amex. Wanted to get your thought on that as well as the stock itself. Thank you. All right. I'm I'm not familiar with the Credit Card Competition Act, and it's uh, interesting. I'm just reading about it. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I'd have to dig into the details of it. Um, now, historically, American Express has been one of the better credit card companies to invest in uh, for a couple of reasons. One is they're a bit diversified, meaning they earn swipe fees just like Visa and MasterCard does, and actually typically higher swipe fees than Visa or MasterCard. Uh, but they also are an issuer of uh, credit as well. And so they earn interest income and they are pretty good underwriters, meaning they don't typically lend to bad borrowers. Typically their users are uh, middle to high income. And so defaults, even in a recession, remain lower than your discoverers of the world or capital ones of the world. And uh, therefore, they've been in pretty well run uh, in that sense is uh, that diversification and the fact that they on both sides of their business, they, they tend to do uh, better than most. And so the return on equity uh, is long term very high. About 25% is their average over the past five years, which is, is very robust. So if I'm going to invest in one company in the credit card industry, long term, it is probably going to be American Express. Now, there is one caveat uh, that has nothing to do with that, that credit card competition act. Um, and it's really about crypto uh, and just the, the move towards moving money directly, whether that's through what the, the Fed is trying to do and, and creating um, a more, uh, you know, paying the bank uh, type of service where you're going straight from your wallet uh, digitally into the bank of the, uh, the retailer that you're, you're buying something from as opposed to through an intermediary like Visa or MasterCard or, or American Express. Um, and I think longer term, probably get there uh, because it's, it benefits the consumer uh, to get rid of the credit card swipe fees. And 
there are just a lot more ways for that to happen. Think of Venmo and Zelle uh, today. <clears throat> and I, I see that growing continually. And there could be some major changes, like I said, that the Fed um, system that is going to be maybe something similar to a CBDC, um, but more of a just a direct to, to bank type of system. Um, and so that's the biggest risk for me for mainly Visa or MasterCard because that's all they they do. Um, but it's certainly a risk for American Express because that is a significant portion of their business are those swipe fees. So that's what makes me hesitate of owning this and just set it and forget it longer term. Um, could it be some tailwinds from that Critical Competition Act uh, if it is passed? Uh, potentially, I, it's gonna, I haven't looked into it, um, but that would be my biggest worry about Amex is just that uh, swipe fees going away. Thanks for the call. Now, my perspective uh, segment is uh, in regards to inflation uh, and breaking down the labor force uh, by the numbers and highlighting the generational characteristics of the labor force. Especially in a time where baby boomers are retiring in mass. Now, they are still in the workforce, born between 1946 and 1964. One in four workers in the U.S. right now is a baby boomer. About 41 million total employees. And they're born after World War II, an era of optimism, opportunity, progress. Typically grew up in a two-parent household. They prefer face-to-face -face communication. They're typically fine with technology, but not great. And in the workforce, they're workaholics. They get fulfillment from that work. They like the meetings and they can do remote work, but tend not to have a good work-life balance. And they tend to work where they live. Now, Gen X, they were born between 1965 and 1980, a, a large part of the workforce. This is the sandwich generation. Gen X turned, uh, Gen X turned to uh, be raising kids and also take care of aging parents. So they've got a lot going on. Now, Gen Xers were born in a rapidly changing social climate and economic recession, right? Think of late 60s, throughout the 70s. And they typically saw both parents working and divorce rates rising. And they emerged when technology was emerging as well. And they typically communicate be best over text, email, as well as face to face, because they did grow up uh, without technology for the most part. They tend to work independently. They like fewer rules and they favor structure. Now there are 65 million Gen Xers in the workforce and ge they generate 63% of the total income of the country. That's where most of the money is right now, or at least most of the income is. Okay. Now millennials born between 1981 and 1995, they're the, they are the number one generation uh, in the workforce in the US, Canada, and Mexico. And they're aggressive. They want to move up. They want to move forward. They're raised to share more, talk more, and prefer an open, kind of friendly environment. 
prefer to communicate over text, email, they're fast learners, and very confident, social, open to new ideas. And 21% of millennial workers have switched jobs in the past 12 months, months. And this is creating a lot of turnover costs for the economy as a whole. They represent 35% of the workforce today, and but they will make up 75% of the workforce by 2025. Because a lot of those boomers moving out and a lot of millennials continue to enter the workforce. Now what happens going forward? A lot of the factors, uh, a lot of factors that affect this dynamic. Uh, and this is something that uh, you're going to really see uh, these trends emerge uh, over the next five, 10 years or so is millennials will be the ones running the world because boomers will, or not boomers, yeah, boomers will be fully moved into uh, retirement uh, and millennials being the largest cohort, they will have the biggest sway on elections and there'll be more leaders within uh, government as well as uh, uh, companies. Um, so this, uh, but, but remember, this is net net going to kind of keep the uh, workforce shrinking uh, overall. Uh, and that means higher, higher wages uh, and higher inflation. Now let's go to Dan in San Diego talking about rig. Hi, Justin. Yeah, I was looking uh, to make some type of oil investment and rig seems interesting in that the uh, ESG folks are kind of, you know, quieting down. And it looks like we're going to need more oil. And right now, offshore is not a bad place to look. What do you think about rig? Well, even this environment with higher oil prices, uh, their profitability metrics aren't fantastic. What this is, though, it is a high risk play on oil prices going higher. Remember, offshore right. drilling is expensive. It's complex. Uh, and they have the largest deep water and ultra deep water fleet in the world. And they operate globally from West Africa to Brazil to the Gulf of Mexico. And their customers tend to be national oil companies, independents, as well as international oil companies. And so they do well when, when oil prices are very high. And the cost to continue with those offshore um, developments is worthwhile. And so it tends to move dramatically in each direction. Obviously, this uh, was on the brink of bankruptcy during the oil crash uh, in 2020. Um, but now it's all the way up to $4.26. But it's still 23% off its 52-week high, whereas a lot of oil companies are near the 52 week high. So I don't love it. I just don't love that, that relative strength. I, I want to see the companies that are at or, or near their 52 week high and are going to be able to earn profits and, and, and pay dividends uh, with oil prices at reasonable levels. And that's what they're at now. And I think they will go higher. Um, so this is just a high, high risk play, not my, not the way that we're playing oil, we rather own uh, the ones that are paying dividends that are currently profitable, are able to buy back shares, pay down debt, etc. 
and rig just isn't one of them. And frankly, it's not even our favorite offshore oil driller. There are better, there are ones that better operate better long-term. So I'm going to give rig a no. I, I love your thinking in that sense, but uh, I would look for uh, diff either different ones in the offshore space or more of your traditional EMP companies that uh, are paying dividends, uh, do have uh, modest debt loads, are buying back shares, and near the 52-week highs, um, not well off of them. Right. Thank you very much. Thanks for the call. Nope. No problem, Dan. Now, the seasons uh, are, are changing, and especially out here in the West, dipping into the 40s overnight, and I know winter, winter is coming. And that means uh, more volatility uh, into next year. Usually this time of year, markets kind of float higher. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't, be, you shouldn't start preparing for 2023. This is when you start thinking about it. Do you feel like you're well set up for this new market regime? Has your strategy succeeded? in this era of inflation, in this era of higher interest rates, in a deglobalizing world, in a new multipolar world. Well, if you need help deciphering that, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KAPP Financial, where we practice parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients, and we practice unbiased guidance. We give unbiased guidance both on and off air and using our same philosophy, which is independent thinking and shared success. So if you wanna reach out to us for a free portfolio review assessment, just go over to investtalk.com or give us give our office a call at 800-557-5461. We have to help you get your portfolio optimized as soon as possible. Now let's squeeze in another call question from 888-99-CHART. Hi, Stephen Justin. I'm calling on a question regarding real estate investment property. I have property that I'm thinking putting on the market and just wondering what would be considered a small loan amount for the buyer 500,000 or 700,000 is that considered small um the potential buyer is or saying that rather than trying to get a loan because there's so few lenders that offer that that they want to have me maybe consider a seller carry back. Does that make sense? I'm not sure if I want to do that. Just want to get your thoughts and opinion on this and what would be the pros and cons. I'll be listening to the answer on your show. Thank you very much. Uh, that sounds like they can't get approved. If they're asking for a seller carry back, uh, it's typically because they can't get approved for the loan that they want. Uh, a, a small loan would be under $100,000. So, you know, if they're saying a $500,000 loan is too small and they can't, there's no lenders offering that, it means there's no lenders offering to them. Um, especially in this market, uh, loan origination is down so much and uh, lenders and, and mortgage brokers are so hungry for, for business. Uh, I'm sure they're going to be able to service or find a loan for uh, some even small dollar amounts, uh, 100,000, 150,000, et cetera. And uh, if they can't, it's probably because the buyer can't qualify. Now, should you 
do the seller carry back. It depends on your risk profile, depends on what interest rate they're going to give you, it depends on the borrower and, you know, uh, what's the reason they can't get approved. Um, all those are factors. So I can't say you should or shouldn't do it, uh, but they're not, they're, they're only getting, they're only not getting, uh, they're only asking for that because they can't get approved themselves. Now we're heading to a break, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART. You are listening to Invest Talk. Every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. 888 99Chart. Hello, this is Sean from Washington State. I've got a question for Steve or Justin about MKS Instruments. I'm using StockRow and Guru Focus to analyze this stock. All the numbers look great to me. 15% plus growth in sales, cash flow, earnings for the last five to 10 years. Very consistent. I'm looking at a fair value of, of somewhere around $150. And today's price is at $84. I know a little bit about this industry. I'm in the measurement industry, so I understand some of the products that they sell. So that makes it easier to read more information about them. I'm looking to uh, see if your numbers match what I'm looking at. Look forward to hear the answer on the podcast. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, looking at MS, MKSI, which is M- MKS Instruments. And you're correct. They're in the semiconductor equipment space. They manufacture and supply instruments and components used to control and analyze gases in the manufacturing of semiconductors. And you're correct, they've had consistent growth uh, over uh, the, the last 10 years or so. Uh, the issue, though, is that now earnings are expected to drop dramatically. So last year, they made $11.38 per share, which is drastically higher than pre-pandemic levels of about $4.52. But this year, they're supposed to earn $9.32, down 18%. But then, uh, then down another 51% next year to $4.54. And that's why the stock has dropped 62% from its from its high. Uh, now, the question is, what is the right number uh, for this, given that its earnings are mean reverting in a big way? And this is what I say, what I'm saying about the fact that there's just a lot of near-term headwinds in the semiconductor space. Not only are... Uh, is demand dropping because demand for physical goods is dropping. Um, but there's also over capacity within the industry. Everybody in the industry was adding capacity because there was a chip shortage a year, year and a half ago. And that's all gone for the most part. And now it's just, there's too much product on the market and companies have to dump supply uh, and they're trying to, uh, reduce their overall uh, production. And that's hurting companies like MKSI. So you have to look forward and forward looking, this isn't cheap. Now, analysts are continuing to downgrade their earnings expectations for this year and next year. And so I would be looking for is revisions to the upside and waiting for that those trends to shift the other way. Um, so... I like that you're looking at this company because 
Uh, long term, they do have good profitability metrics. Uh, return on equity has averaged about 17% over the last five years, which is very solid. Uh, they do have minimal debt on their balance sheet. Uh, actually, I'll take that back. About $4 billion in net debt. So not a low amount. Um, so that's for, for a $4.5 billion market cap. So that's not super small. Uh, so that's something to consider and worry about a little bit, but not not bad. Um, so I would just be patient on it. I'd be looking for analysts to start upgrading their earnings expectations as opposed to continuing to downgrade it. And the technicals to improve. And technicals just continue to get worse and worse. So if this can start getting above the 100-day moving average, then I would start to think about it. But right now, I would pass on MKSI. Now, lastly, I want to talk uh, about banks and the banks that are doing well and the banks that aren't doing well. Now, a good example of the banks that aren't doing well are the ones that service niches that aren't doing well. For example, Silicon Valley Bank. They're, they cater to technology and life science companies, so biotech companies, a lot of startups, and their gains from higher rates have been minimal. Why? Because those companies are burning through cash and they're not able to raise new funding, meaning their deposits are going away. But companies or banks that are more broad in the type of uh, business they have, think of consumer banks like JP Morgan, Bank of America, um, and just banks in general that, that have uh, broad exposure to the economy, uh, they tend to do better. And so if you're looking at the finance industry or the banking industry, uh, I would be looking for the types of exposures that these banks have. They have a lot of commercial real estate exposure, for example, probably not the type of banks you want to own. Okay. So I wanted to highlight that real quick, just so that you're thinking about those factors when looking at different banks. I'm Justin Klein. This is another InvestPuck program. Steve Peasen, I thank you for tuning in. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. You can get yours anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Independent thinking, shared success. This is InvestTalk. Good night. InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.